as I was preparing for this sermon, and as I was just sitting in the back, it made me think about, <clears throat> if I could title the sermon for myself, it would be hypocrisy, which is hard to admit when we're being hypocrites, but uh, as I preach this today, and you, and you listen to me, you're gonna, and if you know me well, you're going to go, hmm, are you listening to yourself, Kyle? Are you going to learn? Yes, I am. I've been working very hard uh, at putting this in practice in my own life, but this last week, I had an opportunity to go spend uh, an evening with a bunch of like-minded people, and it was really exciting. It was really fun to just kind of be in the same space with people who had kind of the same ideas, um, socially, politically, things like that. And, and by God's grace, I got a chance to, to interact with a guy. And you just never know when God's going to put something out there. You're like, oh, thank you, Lord, for, for showing me something. And we were just sharing our, our opinions about the church and our experience with the church. And he said, you know one thing that really bothers me, really hurts me about the church, is the hypocrisy. And I don't know if he said that to other people before, but I was like, you're right. You're right. How often have I been hypocritical? And we were talking specifically as a, as a church preaches love and grace and kindness. But we're so quick to exercise pushing away people who are different pushing away people who disagree with what we believe, and not in a gracious or kind way, but sometimes in a very mean and shameful way. So when he said he was hurt by hypocrisy in the church, I was like, sorry, I hope, and I just started praying after that. I was like, I hope I'm not that kind of Christian where my opinion hurts another person versus helping them know Jesus. And so as I preached this sermon, uh, it just revealed a lot in my heart. So I want to Read the verse to you in context. I asked my wife to do that, and then I was like, actually, just read, just read the little bit that it is, because it's kind of funny when it's just a few words. Um, so this is 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. We've been working on this for a couple weeks now. Love is patient, kind. Love does not envy or boast. Is not arrogant or rude. Does not insist on its own way. Is not irritable or resentful, does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Now, as I've had the opportunity to preach a few times here at this church, I'll be reading the scripture, praying, and I'll think about, oh, that person needs to hear this. Some of you guys. Oh, my wife needs to hear this. Wow, she needs to hear this verse. And then I read this. I get stuck on two words. Not irritable or resentful. And a, an alarm went off my head, which is really the Holy Spirit going, Kyle, that's you. That's you who is irritable. That is you who is resentful. You're not preaching to anybody in this congregation but yourself. And so as I've gone through this sermon this week in this, this very small verse, uh, I was reminded that this is really for me. This is for me. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable, and it is not resentful. So when I say hypocrisy, the people in my inner circle see me being irritable way more than I'd like to admit. And unfortunately, the people closest to me 
see me being resentful towards them, and it's not even on them, it's all on me. So when I say hypocrisy, church, I want you to really think about, is your love Christ-like, or is your love your own version of Christ's love? So uh, I am not much for, uh, uh, sorry, Uh, I just want to encourage you before we move on. This is from Ephesians 4.22. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And so when I read 1 Corinthians 13.5, I go, what are my deceitful desires? What are my selfish desires? Irritability and resentfulness. Those are my desires. So, but uh, I was reminded of this verse as I was preparing for this. And so if that is you, if you're on that same page, I want to encourage you. This is from 2 Corinthians 5.17. This verse has meant so much for me as a new Christian. I remember learning this verse as I had accepted Christ back in 2002 and just hearing these words. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So if you, as I'm preaching, or if as you go home today and you think about these verses, you go, man, I am an irritable person. I'm a bitter person. I'm a selfish person. Good news. God's not done working in my heart. He's not done working in your heart. And he wants to see you grow as a Christian into a gracious, kind, loving person. And he will continue to do that to the day you meet him in heaven. He will always work out. So if you make a mistake today, you go home and you yell at your spouse or you're grumpy, God extends his grace to you. Your family, thank the Lord, probably will continue extending grace to you. But please pray, Lord, shape my heart. Keep working in my heart. Help me to be a patient, kind, loving person. So uh, I'm not much for illustrations, but given this is a small verse today, I've got a few illustrations. And you're going to go, yeah, I kind of see that, but I want to just kind of share my heart with you. So as an outdoorsman, uh, we're outside a lot, me and my family. We hike a lot, camp a lot, kayak a lot. And um, this last week, we had a chance to go camping. And there's one thing I always have. I always, always have. Even for this sermon, I was like, I forgot to get that in my house. But I got some in my truck, and I did. Um, And that is cordage, right? It's little skinny ropes. If you guys ever done hiking or backpacking, you always need to have some cordage. It's just little paracord, things like that. Uh, And it's incredibly useful. So this weekend, like every other camping trip, at some point, my wife goes, hey, we need a clothesline. Do you have some cordage? Absolutely. Bet I do. Here's 50 feet. And my friend David went out there, and he whips up a, a, a clothesline, and we're drying all of our kids' clothes. Uh, and the next thing you know, we got a, a rainstorm coming in. It rained a lot in the mountains this weekend. And all of our stuff is outside, because you pack a bunch of people to a camper, you can't fit stuff in there. And the boys are like, we got to build a shelter to keep all this stuff dry. They run out there with this big tarp. They put it over this long piece of cordage. It's very useful cordage. They put that tarp over there, and all of our stuff stayed dry after lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of rain. So very, very useful. But imagine if I'm always like, I'm prepared always, and I've got, I've got cordage. I've got all this cordage. I, need, I can help. I've got to make a tether for something. And my wife says, I need you to make a clothesline. I go, I got you. I got you. I got this cordage right here. I can. This is, this is all I got, hon. I got this much cordage. I can make um, a small doll clothing line. That's about it. This is useless. 
This is useless quarters. There's not enough to do anything with here. But imagine if this was your fuse. You heard a term, to have a short fuse. I've had, uh, I've had uh, a few people say that to me, that I have a short fuse. And a short fuse is just as useless as a short piece of cordage. I can't do anything with it. This does no good when I'm camping. This knows, does no good when I'm kayaking. And likewise, having a short fuse or being an irritable person does no good for anybody, especially your ministry, your opportunity to exercise God's grace and patience with the people around you. So I want to encourage you, think about if I want to be useful, I need to operate with kindness and love and grace. And so with that said, if you are someone with a quick temper or irritable, you might relate to this story. This is a confession. Again, as I was sharing this with some friends, they're like, ooh, that reminds me of, I was like, yeah, I'm going to use that as an illustration. And some of you guys have heard this story. Um, a couple weeks ago, I was doing some yard work, and uh, I hear this loud crunching sound. I look over, and I see this giant delivery truck hit my truck, just hits it. Because I never park in the street, but I, you know, I parked in the street, and I was like, someone's going to hit it. Sure enough, they hit it. And I was like, hey, hon, this guy hit my truck, so I'm going to go talk to him. Not really. I ran in, Leah, someone hit my truck. Give me my keys. I got to go. And I jumped my truck, and I did not back out of the drive safely, safely. And I hammered the gas and flew down the road as fast as I could, exercising patience and grace. And I was thinking to myself, I'm going to kill him. I was not thinking anything about Christ. I was already mad at this guy. I was angry. I hadn't, he didn't stop, so obviously he wasn't going to work with me in this situation. He just takes off. So I take off. I'd like to say this is the first time this has happened. It's not. And I find him. I find him. I drive up to him, and I slam on my brakes, and I honk the horn. I said, hey, uh, you hit my car, and I'm so... My intention was to unload all of my anger on this man. I was so angry that he hit my vehicle that I was going to make sure that I belittled him and shamed him and hurt him verbally. And uh, that's what I chose to do. That's what I chose to do. Now, what I didn't realize, I'm yelling at this guy. I didn't know what was actually happening. Uh, this guy was driving, intoxicated, on a suspended license, and the vehicle was not his. He had just stolen it moments before. And if you're like me and you're like, yeah, you get him. I want to check your heart. I felt like that was justified. I felt like my behavior was justified. And you know what? My anger, I think, was justified. But how I exercised my anger was not so the cops, we, this thing unfolds, and the cops say, hey, go home. We'll come get a statement from you. I go, okay. Then I get a phone call. Actually, come back over here. We'll get a statement from you here. And so I'm driving back, and I'm a little more calm now because the cops are going to be there. And I show up, and I see the guy sitting, and he's already arrested. And it dawned on me, wow, I responded to this so, so poorly. Um, this guy was going to go to jail. And what I did not realize, but as I sat there and listened to this, this is a man gripped by addiction. This is a man who's willing to do anything to, to feed his addiction. 
This is a man who's been to jail before. This is a man facing a felony. And one of the last interactions he had before he was handcuffed, and I would assume probably still in jail, was some guy running up and yelling at him and belittling him and being rude to him. And I missed a very clear opportunity to share the grace of God with this guy, to show him forgiveness, show him patience, to maybe be a beacon of help or hope to him. Instead, I interacted with a short fuse, irritability, selfishness. That makes me so sad. I want you guys to think about what are those things in our lives where we just, I'm going to go all in because I'm so angry, and we just mishandle the anger that God has maybe given us. We mishandle an opportunity by being irritable, resentful, and selfish. So I want to I want to read 1 Corinthians 13, 4-6 again. Love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy or boast, it is not arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own way, it is not irritable or resentful, it does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. We're going to focus on part of verse 5 today. Part, not even the whole verse. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Three things. Not selfish, not angry, and doesn't hold a grudge. Right? That is the kind of love Paul learned from Christ, and Paul is trying to teach the Corinthians. Now, some of you guys know this. In all my years of training at Denver Seminary, it was to be a therapist I read a lot of books. Uh, I specialized in marriage and family therapy. I've also grown a lot in my marriage. And there is a very real relationship between these three things. Selfishness, and I've, I've seen this as a therapist. I've seen this as a Christian. I've seen this as a husband. I've seen this as a parent. Selfishness or self-centeredness is me being the most important thing. Is my rules, my expectations, my goals, what I think is important is what all of you should follow. And I typically, silently, put those expectations on my family. Husbands who are selfish put those expectations on their spouses, wives, likewise, parents, likewise. When we are selfish, everybody falls short of my expectations, which makes me irritable and angry. It's a cycle, right? I'm selfish. Now I'm irritable at you. You've made me mad because you broke the rules that I made up in my head and I didn't tell you. And now I resent you. And now I withdraw my love from you. Happens in the church, happens in the home, and it is very, very dangerous. If you decide to make yourself Lord over yourself in our selfishness, you will inadvertently make yourself Lord over the people in your lives if you operate as a selfish person. And when we do that, we attempt to put ourself in God's throne in our heart. Selfishness dethrones God in our heart. So if I'm Lord over all, guess whose justice I'm going to dish out? mine, because I'm being selfish. Here's a problem. Selfishness creates fertile soil in my heart 
to be a person of anger. I become someone who assumes everybody knows what I want. And when they don't do what I want or perform as I expect, they're insulting me, they're hurting me. I'm just looking through everything in this lens of selfishness, and I'm going to respond negatively. So that is a very common thing um, in, in, in family therapy. You would see that often. In my own life, I would see that myself often being selfish. Um, Now, if you guys are like me, you want to look good on the outside, and you go, okay, I'm, I'm irritable, but yelling and fighting is not very Christian-like, so I'm going to bottle it up. I'm going to bottle it up and keep it inside. And that's where we start to see that spirit of grumpiness, that spirit of just, people start walking on eggshells around me because instead of, I can't exercise my anger, so I'm just going to internalize it and be grumpy all the time. And you start to see people kind of tiptoe. Oh, is mom going to blow up at me if I did this wrong? What if I spill this cup? Is dad going to yell at me? What if I scratch the car? Is my spouse going to be mad at me? If I buy the wrong milk, am I going to get in trouble? Uh, do you start walking on eggshells around people? Right? It's very dangerous. But here's what stinks. The, the cycle of selfishness and anger poisons our personality. Again, if we're selfish, we're justifying all of it. And that poison also poisons our relationships with around us. And it really limits our ability to share the gospel with anybody if we just operate out of a heart of selfishness and anger. But here's one of the big problems for the church. Henry uh, Drummond made this observation, and it made a lot of sense. It resonated with me. And that is that anger is a vice of the virtuous or the righteous. Well, God gets angry. I don't like the way the world is responding to what God's doing, so I'm angry. I can be angry like God's angry. And despite my selfishness and my grumpiness, I do very much want to see Christ glorified, and I assume you guys would agree with me in that. Uh, I want to see our culture reflect the Bible. I want to see my family and our words reflect God's morals that he has given us in Scripture. So I justify my flavor of anger, my flavor of justice, because it makes God angry. The problem is this. In our sinfulness, we tend to blur God's righteousness and God's holiness, we blur that with my opinion of how God would exercise his wrath, my opinion how God would exercise his justice. Because when we're selfish, who's on the throne? Me, not God. And so I look at Scripture and I go, yeah, this is what the Bible says. I look at the world and go, ugh, I'm angry at you. I'm angry at everything you're doing because it's not what the Bible says. The problem is the whole time I'm operating in a heart where I'm the center, and Christ is not. And what tends to happen is our little ember of anger, unchecked by the Holy Spirit, unchecked by the people closest to us, unchecked by ourselves, our selfishness lets that little ember of anger in our hearts just saturate our space, and we become reckless Christians, mean Christians, 
hard Christians. And it burns up any opportunity to share grace with people. And here's the, here's the good news for the devil. That is a, if you're like, what are you, okay, what are we saying here? The devil can take our selfish hearts and twist scripture, twist grace, twist God's justice and go, yeah, but you would burn him down, right? You would run him over with your car, right? You would have him hauled off to the electric chair and not just prison because he hit your car. Ooh, we are sinful. I'm sinful. I don't know. Maybe you guys aren't. I am. And the devil uses that as a foothold to just wreck relationships. Selfishness and irritability and resentfulness hurt our witness. So I want to jump back in. Back to 1 Corinthians 13. I'm going to read it again, but I'm going to go a little bit further this time here. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love is not selfish. Love is not grumpy. Love, this is verse, um, verse 6, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. If we are an angry person, sometimes our version of what we think is God's justice starts to celebrate evil. Eye for an eye, arm for an arm. We start to dish out revenge if we operate where we are at the center of God's throne in our heart. Now, I've got to ask you guys this. How often, how often has your anger been justified? Just think about that for a second. I, there are, I think there are times... When anger is justified, <clears throat> when children are hurt, because you're pretty angry. When kids are kidnapped, because you're pretty angry. There are times when we see how God, God calls us to live and the world lives differently. Oh, that makes me very angry because it makes God angry. But here's the question. Were your actions and your response justified? I think it's okay to be angry. But I think when we're selfish, that anger is exercised in a selfish way and we lose sight of God's grace and God's justice and we put on our own flavor of that. And so I would ask you guys, if you are angry and you respond in yelling, shaming, belittling people, that's never justified. So how does God interact with anger and how does our selfish heart interact with anger? Ours comes out as irritability, resentfulness, and God has got a very different plan when he is frustrated and angry. So I want you guys to turn with me to Mark 10, Mark 10, uh, verse 42 through 44, okay? And Jesus called to them, Jesus called them to him, and he said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be greatest among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be a slave to all. I want to first address our selfishness. We cannot manage frustration and anger and justice we cannot manage grace and patience 
when we are selfish. Jesus says, it is so hard to be selfish if you take the position of a servant. If you take the position of serving others, it is very difficult to be selfish. Now, if anybody had the right to be selfish on the planet Earth, it was Christ. Christ's goal was to win us to him. He was the gate that we must walk through for salvation, restoration, forgiveness, eternal life. In all that, he was pointing to himself, but he did it with such humility. He had every right to be self-centered because he was Christ. But his heart, how he expressed his ministry, he was so humble, he was willing to submit himself to our payment, our sin, and die on the cross. So if you're like, Kyle, I, I, I agree, but you can't compare me to Christ. He was Christ, and he was still not selfish. Got someone that's a little less higher up on the system there. Uh, Paul, I think we could re- a little bit, relate a little more to Paul. <clears throat> Here was Paul's response because he looked at Christ for his inspiration. In 1 Corinthians 10, 33, Paul wants to not be selfish here. Here we go. 1 Corinthians 10.33. Even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. That is very, very convicting. Paul's not Jesus. Paul's relying on the work of the Spirit to be gracious and kind. Paul's relying on the work of the Spirit to sacrifice his desires for the good of many. For what reason? To save people. To tell people about Jesus. He would sacrifice his comfort. He would sacrifice his opinion on social matters. He would sacrifice his opinion for Christ's opinion. He would sacrifice his loud voice for Christ's soft, kind words. To save a person. And so I would ask, that is a great reason to not be selfish, to help someone come to know Jesus and be saved for eternity. It's a good reason to say, I need to die to myself and let Jesus be the Lord of my heart and not Kyle be the Lord of my heart, okay? That was Paul's perspective. And I pray that we would have an opportunity. I pray for myself. It's a dangerous prayer. I'm sorry, I'm gonna pray for for you guys too. You'd have an opportunity to be uncomfortable, to challenge your selfishness, to save someone's life by coming to know Christ. So we continue in Paul's work in the New Testament as he starts to make it very clear that selfishness, irritability, and resentfulness have no no space in Christ-like love. We cannot operate in the world with those things. So here we go. This is Colossians 3, 12 through 15. So if you guys want to turn to Colossians 3, 12 through 15, uh, I would have sent in sermon slides, but uh, I was camping, so I didn't. I apologize. Um, <clears throat> not, good, not good cell service out there. So here we go. This is Colossians 3, 12 through 15. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, 
forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so that you must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let peace, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. I did not read, put on your yourself, put on your justice, put on your frustration, put on your opinion. It is really hard to be selfish and irritable if you're meek and humble and patient. If you're like me, I've got to pray all the time, Lord, make me humble. Let me have a heart of meekness inside of you and let me be a person of peace and patience. Okay? So now, uh, back, back to 1 Corinthians. Here we go. Love is patient. This is uh, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5. Love is patient, kind. Love does not envy or boast. Love is not arrogant. Here we go. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. You're, like, You're saying that a lot, Kyle. I've had to say that to myself 10 times this morning. Kyle, don't be irritable. Kyle, don't be irritable. Kyle, you are not the most important person on the planet. Jesus has got you, got you loving people. So don't be selfish. Don't be irritable. So that's why I'm repeating the verse multiple times. But here's the deal. The second half of that verse, do not be irritable or resentful, is more convicting. And here's why. I can hide my selfishness. I can tuck that in and no one sees my selfishness. Problem is this. That's what we think. Selfishness tends to bear fruit of irritability and resentfulness. So if you're like, I'm not selfish. I, I look at the scriptures and I, I interact exactly how the Bible says I should. But you notice people are like, ooh, I don't want to upset them. They're really grumpy. That's the fruit of selfishness is an irritable attitude, a grumpy heart. Um, it is really, really hard to hide that. And so as I look at this, Second half of the verse, that's where the conviction starts to come out. I see my actions. It exposes my selfishness because I'm grumpy. And it is really, really hard to love people when we are grumpy people. Here's, here's the sad part. And I've had conversations with my kids, and it was so convicting. It is really, it's actually even harder for people to let you love them if you're grumpy. So if you're an irritable person, resentful person, people are going to go, I don't, I don't want your love because you're dangerous. You're mean. You're not safe. You're grumpy. Your selfishness is making a, a, a spirit that is so unenjoyable, not safe, and scary. So not only does it make it hard for you to love people, our attitudes, our grumpy attitudes, make it really, really hard for people to trust us that we're safe. And it makes it really hard for people to know Jesus. I was going to cut this out of my sermon, but those of you who know me, uh, I have been told more than once I look grumpy. Come on, talk to me, buddy. Jesus loves you. (laughs) Roger. He loves you, Roger. I, the haircut, but he loves you. Okay? It doesn't work. It does not work to have a soft heart if you just look mean. Oh, it's just my face, my big forehead and eyebrows. 
No, just soften your face. And so I've been told that, and I started to realize how I'd walk down the hallways. I teach in a high school. I don't want to talk to him. He looks to be grumpy. I'm like, no, I'm not grumpy. Oh, I just look grumpy. I've got to work on being inviting and kind. I want to work on being a, a person that people feel safe coming to. I need to work on not making this face all the time, okay? Um, so just think about how incompatible those are. So now uh, I want to move over here. 1 Thessalonians 5. So we're going to go to 1 Thessalonians 5. Uh, I know we had, a, it's a short verse, so I want to pull in some more scripture to help flesh out these ideas here. So 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 through 16. This verse, if you listen to it, I think will help soften our hearts and take our eyes off of ourself and put our eyes on the flock that Jesus has put before you to love. Here we go. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays evil for evil, but always seeks to do good for one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. That man handcuffed on the sidewalk who hit my car, I think it's fair to go, he's probably faint-hearted. This is a man that I need to be patient with. This is a man who is weakened by his addiction. I responded in anger, frustration, and mean words. If you are a selfish person, if you are self-centered, it makes it so hard to be patient with other people because they don't meet your expectations. But you are called to love people with grace. Well, that person doesn't live like Jesus wants them to. That person doesn't know the Bible. Why are you mad at them? Be patient with them. Be humble around them and love them. A selfish heart, an irritable heart, is so quick to repay evil with evil. It is really hard to seek to do good for those who frustrate you. So we're going to jump into 1 Peter 4, getting that Bible movement exercise going, getting good at it. This is a short verse too, and it's powerful. 1 Peter 4, 8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Kyle, what if that Christian I know is sinning? Well, you should hate them. You should be mad at them. You should shame them for not knowing the Bible correctly. Oh, wait a minute. Paul is talking to Christians. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of, of sins. If your brother or sister in the Lord is running away from Jesus, the best way to save them, bring them back to the flock, is patience and kindness, perseverance, clarity, caring for them. If you are loving people the way Paul is calling us to love people, these verses are exciting. If you are operating out of a selfish heart, these verses are convicting. But take heart. God's not done working with you. God is going to continue shaping your heart and challenging you and making you a softer, kinder, loving person like Christ was. Okay, I asked if our anger was justified. Our world sucks. I don't know if that's an appropriate 
sermon term. I don't like it. Our world is ugly. Uh, there's a lot of violence. There's a lot of selfishness. There's a lot of my feelings and my identity and who I am is the most important thing. It is I am Lord over myself. And as a Christian, we read the Bible and we go, God wants a heart like this. God wants a world like this. God's coming to judge the world, and he is. God's going to judge the world and us for our actions. His justice is so good and so powerful. He will win over the sinful world. He will. But Kyle, right now in this moment, the rebellion of the world makes me so angry, I got to throw something. I got to yell at people. I've got to... I gotta frustrate people. I've gotta pick a side and be on that side only and fight everybody who's on that side. We're gonna see what happens when we pick sides. We're gonna see how Jesus picks sides here in a moment. And this chunk of scripture is so good. Jesus should be how we interact with the world. And here's the thing Jesus is very clear what God approves of. Jesus is very clear that this, 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 these are all sins. He's very clear. And he's very clear about the consequences of sin. Eternal separation from God. That's very sad. And if you are a mean person, here's, here's, I want to just encourage you. At the core of your heart, if you're a grumpy person, if I say this, eternal separation from God. If that doesn't break your heart, you might be just, you got to work on it. But if that breaks your heart a little bit and you're still grumpy, that means there's hope. You were like, oh, Lord, I don't want anybody to be separated from you for eternity. Thank the Lord your heart is still soft. You still have a soft heart. But it is hard, guys. It's so hard when the world is so rebellious and abrasive according to God. But if the phrase eternal separation from God makes you sad, it's good news. God's still working on your heart. Here we go. I want to read this verse. This verse brings a tear to my eye because I go... Ooh, I'm on this side. I'm on the side throwing rocks at the sinner. This is John 8. So if you want to follow along with me, John 8, 3 through 11. I pray that we are standing between the line with Jesus on both sides. And I pray that we're not on this side of the line throwing the rocks at the sinner. Here we go. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, sexual sin. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Jesus, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses, commanded us to stone such women. That means stoning them to death, throwing rocks at them until they're dead. That's crazy. So what do you do, they say. This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against Jesus. But Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw the stone at her. Anger is a vice of the virtuous. Anger is... So hard to manage when we're selfish. Are you on that side? She's the sinner. She's gross. We should throw rocks at her. And Jesus doesn't disagree. Jesus goes, yeah, she's a sinner. 
But, but, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. I think God's righteous anger towards those who live in sin is justified. At this moment, Jesus, being God, could have condemned that woman right there on the spot and then turned around and condemned all those religious, religious leaders right there. Could have condemned all of them because they were all sinful. But he didn't. He didn't condemn the religious leaders and he didn't condemn the woman. He operated in patience and grace. He didn't go, well, you are a pervert. You are a thief. You are mean. You're a bad husband. He didn't. He quietly was honest, wrote in the sand, hey, here's your sins. I want you to think about that. He didn't shame anybody. He didn't write their names. He didn't point them out. He said, here's some sins, and everybody knew, that's me. I'm also a sinner. He was patient, and he was kind. This is incredible. Go to verse 8. And once more, he bent down, and he wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stands up. And he said to the woman, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She says, no, no, Lord. She recognizes that he's Jesus, by the way. No, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go. And from now on, sin no more. Jesus confronts sinful lifestyles in the ungodly and the godly, honestly. He confronts it. He says, this is wrong. He has no tolerance for sin, but his confrontation is done with love, patience, kindness. It is so easy to let irritability and anger take roots in our hearts if we are selfish people. And it's fair. I get frustrated with the world all the time. I go, why are we choosing to live like this? Oh, it's so wrong. And if I let my selfishness be Lord over my heart, I will respond in anger, irritability, resentfulness. If I let, Lord, if I let Jesus be the Lord of my heart, I'm going to respond with patience, kindness, and grace. Don't let your selfishness cloud your understanding of God's justice. We are not called to be God's tools of wrath. I want to be. Oh, I want, Lord, let me be the wrath of you. Yes. Nope. I'm called, we are called to be tools of love and grace and kindness. And if we are looking at everything through a selfish lens, it's not going to fit and we will fail miserably and we will hurt our witness. So I want to read this verse one more time, and we're going to wrap this up. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable. It is not resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Christian, if you are selfish, you will become irritable, you will become resentful, and you will miss out on grace, even for yourself. It will make you poisoned. And if you really want patience and kindness in your life, 
love people the way Paul challenges us to. And I want to end with this verse. Um, ever since I became a Christian in 2002, read this verse, and I was like, this is awesome, because this is what it's all about. It's so interesting that this is what it's all about. It's a small, simple verse. Corinthians is such a powerful book. This is Corinthians 13, 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. The greatest way to show God's justice, the greatest way to grow God's kingdom, the greatest way to get along with your spouse, the greatest way to get along with your children, the greatest way to get along with that person that drives you crazy is love them because Christ loved you first. Pray with me, church. Lord, I ask that you would soften our hearts. Lord, I ask that we would run from selfishness. We would run from being the center of our universe, Lord, that we would get off your throne and let you be the Lord over our lives. Lord, I ask if we are grumpy people, if we are angry people, you would direct that. You would soften our hearts, make us kind people, patient people, loving people. Pray these things in your holy name, Lord. Thank you.